You are listening to Dove Valley Deep Divers with Eric Trickle and Lance Sanderson. Ball comes out of the hands of Newton. It's on the ground, picked up by T.J. Ward at the four-yard line. Vaughn Miller did it again. On Overtime Media. And it looks like we are live. I'm going to give uh, Buana Beast just a second here to add the uh, the Facebook group in here. Uh, taking a drink of water really fast. There we go. Looks like we're good to go. Mile high. Hello, everybody in, in Broncos country. Welcome into another episode of the Dove Valley Deep Divers podcast. I'm your host, Lance Sanderson. Joining me as per usual is Mile High Huddle's senior NFL draft analyst, my good friend and colleague, the one and only Eric Trickle. Eric, it's been kind of a hectic week for me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. been driving a lot. I've uh, been moving stuff back and forth. Today is the last day that I'm going to be in this studio, um, at least to do the show, because uh as of after this show is done, I'm packing everything up and we're out of here. We're going to be moving into our new house and officially be done moving. So kind of hectic for me. Eric, how you doing, bud? Uh, for the most part, I'm doing pretty good. Um, purchased my plane ticket to fly down to Denver the 25th of September. Going to be tailgating. Part of the Mile High Huddle little tailgate get-together thing that Chad's doing. I'm going to be there for that. And then that Sunday, and then I'm going to be flying back on Monday. So my anxiety for that's going. I don't handle big crowds very well, so um i mean that's one reason why i don't mind living in alaska so kind of a little hesitant there but tickets purchased i'm not backing out of it i can't back out of it i'm going to enjoy it had to buy first class i mean i want to fly comfortably so and i'm a little bit of a bigger of a guy so i wanted to fly comfortably so excited to go i love being in the air that's the thing i'm I'm not necessarily looking forward to the most i'm most comfortable with flying i love being in the air it's where i feel most at peace so Excited for that part, but the social anxiety is, is getting to me a little bit. And, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel you, dude. Like I, I'm, I'm still not not quite a hundred percent on actually being able to go. But it sounds like um, if I just do the right things and and get everything planned out, I've been so busy, dude. Like I've been so busy trying to get the house taken care of. Um, Paying bills at two places right now has kind of been a little bit hectic, you know, running short on some funds. So, uh, but doing the best that I can anyways, but I, I, I am anticipating on going. I do intend to go. So hopefully we'll be able to meet up for the first time and get to be, uh, you know what, I think it's Chad and Zach's going. I know uh, John's going as well. A couple other people might be there. I think, uh, Luke, I think Mike. I believe uh, Luke is planning on going. Okay. Mike is planning on being there. Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to meeting people in person for the first time and actually getting to shake some people's hands and have a, uh, have a conversation, not necessarily only about football, but about life in general and getting to know some of the, the staffers. But guys, it, and I mean, I, everybody, you're more than welcome to show up Mile High Stadium September 26th when the Broncos take on the New York Jets. Uh, I, wa- I want to go to the game too, but I don't think I'm going to be able to afford that. So it, it's going to be really fun, though. We'll do a meet and greet with everybody, do a little bit of tailgating, walk around the stadium and, and just have some fun. So guys, make sure you mark your calendars September 26th. Uh, make sure you're there and, and do the meet and greet with the Mile High Huddle staff. But guys, uh, today we have a really fun and entertaining show kind of planned out for you guys. We're going to break down the strengths and weaknesses of Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke and what that means for the receiving core. Because uh, th- there's some, some very big differences, obviously, between the two of them. Now, Eric, I want your opinion first here. Let's start with Teddy Bridgewater. Break down the strengths and weaknesses of what Teddy Bridgewater brings to the Denver Broncos and what that could uh, what that could potentially look like on the field. Timing, placement, and I know a lot of people like to point to his interception numbers last year, but he actually does a pretty good job protecting the ball. Most of his inter- uh, most of his interceptions last year came after he hurt his knee. When he even flat out said that I should have hung up the cleats, I should have called it a season, and he didn't. He ended up throwing a bunch of interceptions. So he, he does a pretty good job taking care of the ball. 
He's accurate. He has a good placement. He's got good timing. The big thing is that he is what he is really at this point. He's not a guy that's going to go get you 40-plus touchdowns, 30-plus touchdowns. I mean, 15 to 20 touchdowns, that's probably the most you'd get out of him. But you'd probably end up with a 2-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio right around. And he's not, he's not one to really push the ball downfield. He can, but it's more based off of timing instead of arm strength. So that that's what he brings to the table. I mean, he's a little bit more of a safer player than uh, Drew Locke is at this point. And, I mean, outside of injuries, he's played well. I mean, last year at Carolina, people don't realize how well he was playing before he hurt his knee against in that second game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in Minnesota, I mean, before he had that one big major knee injury, he was looking like he was going to be something pretty solid. And it just – the injuries have just set him back. So that's the that's the other concern with him. Yeah, it's – like you said, not the strongest arm in the world, but he has enough arm talent to make every throw that is, that is required of him. I mean, he, there's been some reports coming out of minicamp that he had, you know, uh, that obviously that, that deep touchdown pass to Jerry Judy. There was another one that was like a 15- or 17-yard out route that he hit to Jerry Judy. Um, so he can push the ball just a little bit. It's just not his game. He really does, you know, take what's given to him, dump the ball off a little bit, you know, dump down to the to his check downs, his running backs, tight ends, guys out in the flat and stuff. Likes to throw the out-breaking routes because he doesn't have the necessary arm velocity to fit the, the football into tight windows over the middle of the field. So that's kind of a big thing with him in stark contrast to Drew Locke, who we all know. I mean, he's got enough arm talent for days. I mean, this, this guy can throw the ball – 60 yards downfield. He can push it into a tight window. He can make some crazy off-platform throws, which he tries to do a little bit too often. Um, and it, it, that's that's the biggest thing with Drew Locke is he's got all the arm talent that, and the necessary attitude to make those throws. But the biggest issue that he has is just his decision-making. And we've talked about that a lot here. The decision-making with Drew Locke is what really gets him into trouble because he does like to fit those footballs into tight windows. He's, he's just arrogant and cocky, thinks he's the cock of the walk, you know, and he wants to make those big highlight splash plays. He doesn't necessarily take what's given to him. Now, where this, is, this conversation gets very interesting is the weapons that the that the Broncos have. I mean, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, the big body catch guys, Jerry Judy, uh, KJ Hamler, the shiftier guys, better route runners, guys that get open and do their best work over the middle of the field that need some more timing and anticipation with their throws. Obviously, Noah Fant, who you can use in a multitude of different ways. And I got a, I got a point that I want to bring up with that. But the stark contrast in the way that these two quarterbacks play the uh, play the uh, the field and throw the football really leads into some interesting dynamics regarding especially Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fant. Now, Eric, speaking to Cortland Sutton, obviously we know that the big catch radius is there with him and he can go get to those jump balls. Obviously, it's going to be Drew Locke that would be the better quarterback for him. Why, on other than the catch radius, why would that be that Teddy Bridgewater is not going to maximize Cortland Sutton's uh, skill set to its fullest potential? Well, first of all, I want to say is that we're not saying that these wide receivers will only be good with which quarterback. Right. They'll all be effective. Just one of them may better bring out the better abilities, the um, best out of these wide receivers. And for Cortland Sutton, I, I don't think it matters what quarterback is back there. I think that everybody labels him in as just a guy who can go get these contested catches, and he's a lot more than that. He's a guy who he has improved route running that he showed in 2019 he can get open and he can make uh, catches on timing and precision and be a somewhat of a threat after the catch. And Teddy Bridgewater fits that. And then the contested catch aspect of it. Yeah. That's a little bit more in favor of Drew Locke, but I mean, it's not like Teddy Bridgewater can't throw those because you still have, it's still about placing the ball in the right spot. And that's what Ted, Teddy Bridgewater does. It's just 
So I don't think it matters what quarterback's back there for Cortland Sutton because he just has a talent that you can just work around with no matter which quarterback it is. Yeah, I, I actually tend to agree with you on that one. I do think that Drew Locke is going to maximize that potential because he really does like to push the ball down the field. And that's where Cortland Sutton, back, especially back in 2019, where they had that really good connection, um, Drew, uh, Drew Locke and, and Cortland Sutton. I mean, even with Brandon Allen, who didn't push the ball down the field nearly effectively enough, he was still able to go. I think he was like seven of seven in 50-50 catches, including that diving touchdown that he had against the, uh, the Chargers and then that big corner route that he had against the Minnesota Vikings where he went and posted. Xavier Rhodes. So I do just think that Drew Locke is going to maximize that potential a little bit better. But with the with the route running prowess that Cortland Sutton has developed over the last couple of years, it's going to be very interesting to see how he does with that coming off that torn ACL as well. But I think that there is a, a potential opportunity there with that big body, get, you know, have that big catch radius for uh, Teddy Bridgewater and to take advantage of that by using some of the timing, timing and anticipation, the accuracy that he has. The, the, Cortland Sutton is going to be a, a killer stellar guy regardless of who's going to be throwing the football. I definitely agree with you on that. Uh, before we get to Jerry Judy really fast, I want to say hello to everybody that's here in the chat. we got some Facebook users here. Uh, Jason O'Neill jumping in here on YouTube. What's going on, man? Uh, Mo is in the house. we got a Facebook user saying hello, guys. Um, I'm not exactly sure what your name is. I'll go back and check this uh, on the Facebook feed, but I just wanted to give you a shout out. Apparently you have a setting in your Facebook that is not allowing your name to be shared when it transfers over to YouTube. So check that out. We'll get you get you shouted out by name here as well. Uh, Jay Kozad in the house. We've got Higher Learnings in here. Uh, John Libick over on Facebook as well. Um, George Newton jumping in here. Tim Durr as well. Hello, everybody. Michael Ronquillo over on Facebook as well saying hello to the Dove Valley Deep Divers. Doing good, man. Uh, glad that everybody is here to join us tonight. Now, as far as Jerry Judy is concerned, and th there's a lot of people that think that Jerry Judy's like primed for a breakout season. And it's definitely, uh, he's got the talent to be one of the, the, the top receivers. He might be like a top 10 route runner in the NFL already at this particular point. He came in very crisp, very smooth in his routes. But this is on the flip side of this. He doesn't necessarily have a great rapport with Drew Locke. And I think that the drop, the drop passes that he has um, really kind of goes into the fact that Drew Locke throws a, a sharper football. We've heard that multiple times if you listen to Broncos Country Tonight from Benjamin Albright, how Locke likes to zip the football in there. And that might not be the best way for Judy to actually go about his game because he does like to plan his, uh, plan his moves after the the uh, after the catch point, so Eric, why don't you elaborate that uh, just a little bit? Why Teddy Bridgewater might be the better quarterback throwing the football to Jerry Judy? I mean, it's the precision, it's the accuracy, it's putting it where the best spot for the receiver to make a play after the catch. That's what Teddy Bridgewater's whole career has been. That's the style style of quarterback that he is. He's not a guy that he's not going to try to force these tight window throws. He's not going to be this guy that has inaccurate passes because people don't realize despite Judy having 12 drops, five of which came in one game. So, I mean, there's a little bit of a hyperbole there about it that he had such a big consistent issue with dropping passes. I mean, seven of them spread out over 15 games. It's not great, of course, but five in one game. Anyways, yeah. uh, with, with Jerry, Judy is that, yeah, he has to catch these passes and everything, but when targeted, he still had the most targets that were a result of a quarterback fault incompletion, meaning that these were poorly paced passes that he had a chance to get or not necessarily get, and they fell incomplete. Some of them were drops. I mean, I could think of a couple of drops off the top of my head that the ball was too far behind him. He was trying to reach behind him and get him. Like, yeah, great receivers. They still, excellent receivers. They still go get those types of catches. 
but I mean, it's on the quarterback to help make it a little bit easier on them. Right. So, and I, I think that there's, there's, you got a pretty good point there. And I want to go back to his ability after the catch. Um, and you, you might be able to excuse some of the drops with him because if he does have a quarterback that gets him into the, the best position available to get as many yards after the catch, break some tackles, you know, and run away from some guys, kind of like what he did on that, what, 96 yard, I think, touchdown pass it was from Drew Locke against the, the, the Las Vegas Raiders. I'm going to mess that up every single time, I swear. Uh, but week 17, that long touchdown pass that Jerry Judy caught, and he ran like 75 yards after the catch because it, there was no one around him. I mean, that was such a busted coverage, a busted play by the Raiders. But still, if you can get Jerry Judy in that kind of a mode, and I think that Teddy Bridgewater does a good job throwing into windows and using that anticipation, he's going to give Jerry Judy the, the most, like the maximum amount of, amount of space to create after the catch. Now, you can forgive some of those drops so long as he does bring that explosive play potential on the backside. Do you agree with that, Eric? I definitely do. And with, going, and with these drops and everything, like, I don't know. I like it's a big deal, but I think at the same time it's also a little bit overrated. I mean, seven of them in two games, the season opener, and then that Los Angeles Chargers game. He was targeted fifteen times. This was the game where after he got he complained a little bit, which made the drops even more prominent. He was complaining about his usage, and here he goes dropping five of fifteen targets. Still caught six, and four of them were targets that aren't even catchable. So I mean, you definitely you got to do better there. I mean, but. He had multiple games where doesn't didn't matter which quarterback it was, Drew Locke. He caught some heaters from him. I think this whole thing that he doesn't like to catch heaters or he can't catch heaters isn't necessarily the most accurate thing to kind of explain away his drops. I think the fact that it's a combination of things and things that can get better and improved, and he seems to be putting in the work on these a little bit. Mm-hmm. And one of the videos that he shared out there about it, I mean, he had the jugs machine and he basically throwing heaters at him and he was catching them. So, I mean, got to get better, but I think that not all drops are the fault of the receiver. And I think that's something that a lot of people, a lot of fans fail to understand at times. And so, and going back to it, I mean, it's always better for a receiver that is, I think, top 10 in route running, that is better after the catch, that is explosive after the catch. And we'll get, this is going to lead to a very fun conversation about KJ Hamler, by the way. It's a lot better for a quarterback to be precise instead of throwing heaters more consistently. Right. And you know what? Speaking of, let's just move to KJ Hamler right now. We've got a Facebook user again jumping in here. Which quarterback would be better to use utilize the speedsters better? And we're going to speak specifically to KJ Hamler. And now a big part of this is just how does Pat Shermer, um, so that was Albert Knoppers that actually just came in and said that, uh, uh, Pat Shermer didn't necessarily do the best job of utilizing KJ Hamler's skill set last year. And I don't think that anybody's going to really disagree with that. Uh, they, they need to do a better job of getting him the ball on some slants, some screen passes, get it quickly, get him some space, and then really utilize that. But, however, he also does have the ability to take the top off the defense. So this is going to lead – like Eric said, this is going to lead into a very interesting conversation. Drew Locke, obviously, with the arm strength and the arm talent throwing the ball down the field, probably would be best to utilize K.J. Hamler's skill set to its fullest potential because it's the Will Fuller effect. It's the uh, the Ted Ginn effect, if you know what I mean, where you have that speedster that can take off the top of the defense and push the ball down the field. Your offense is naturally going to have some more success because it opens up everything underneath for the rest of your offense. I think when Will Fuller is on the field back in Houston, it was like a three-point-per-game difference. Uh, as compared to when he was off of the field, that that effect of that speedster taking the top off of the defense and helping your offense underneath actually makes it easier to move the football. So 
On the flip side of that, KJ Hamler has a short area of quickness and burst that he that with Teddy Bridgewater getting the ball out quick and hitting him with some anticipation and hitting him in stride and stuff could really open up some more potential with KJ Hamler on the field as well because he can use that speed after the catch and run away from some guys. Now, Eric, I'm going to leave it up to you. Which quarterback do you think is the better the better quarterback to take advantage of a KJ Hamler this year? Well, I think both of them can ex- use his skill sets in different ways, and I just want to say is. There's a lot of hypocrisy from some Bronco fans. Jerry Judy had 110 targets and 12 drops, which, again, not great, seven of which came in two games. KJ Hamler had 52 targets and seven drops, but Judy's a bust. KJ Hamler's not. And unlike KJ Hamler, Judy didn't have a drop problem in college, not to the extent Hamler did, where he dropped 25% of catchable passes. That's a huge number, and it's largely deal because his hands just aren't that great. So... Everybody points to the speed. Oh, he has the speed to take the top off of defense. So that automatically means that Drew Locke's the best one for it. I disagree. I think that Drew Locke can better help. Having Drew Locke back there can use him better to help the rest of the offense a little bit. But in terms of actually better maximizing KJ Hamler himself is Teddy Bridgewater. Because one of the things that KJ Hamler did best at in Penn State is quick slants, getting the ball quickly and being explosive after the catch. Teddy Bridgewater, his accuracy, his placement, that is better underneath where KJ Hamler, I think, would be better utilized, allowing him to work after the play. Now, of course, you still want him to take the top off the defense a little bit. So, honestly, you can say either way, and I get it, and I wouldn't super argue with it. But, I mean, I would definitely go that Teddy Bridgewater, in terms of the player himself, is better for KJ Hamler. Well, Drew Locke is better for with KJ Hamler for the whole offense. Yeah, and higher learning is kind of jumping in here with the, with the same thoughts as you. And I, I, I tend to agree on that. Uh, the quicker checkdowns tend to be better for KJ in the short passing game. The timing, rhythm, you know, the the quick slants, the quick hitches, stuff like that. Like I said, get the ball into his hands quick. I want to see them use him more on some crossing routes, you know, some seven, eight, nine, ten yard crossing routes. Get him over the middle of the field a little bit and see if you can't pick a linebacker that's supposed to be in zone coverage or in man coverage, you know, line him up in the slot, get him against a linebacker, maybe a safety that's a little bit slower um, and see if you can't get him on those crossing routes where you can have him run away from somebody and get on the backside of the play and then take off and go upfield and really highlight that speed. Um, and I think that, that Drew Locke, if you were actually to get him into rhythm early and get him into those quick rhythm throws, I think he can actually do that, but just at face value. And like I want to say, I want to say this at face value. We need to see some more from Drew Locke first. Uh, I think at face value, Teddy Bridgewater is probably the better quarterback to, like you said, maximize his skill set to its fullest potential. Just because you have that ability to like deep passes are the, the literally the worst play in the NFL. Quite honestly, they are the most inefficient plays that you can get. Like when you're hitting on, you know, 25, 30, 40% of your plays that are 20 yards or more, which is a pretty good average, 40% on on 20 yards or more. That's actually a pretty decent average for throwing the football down the field. Now, if you're hitting on 70% of your passes within 10 yards and you have a speedster that can actually take advantage of that, that is the more efficient play. And that's where Teddy Bridgewater kind of takes the nod here. Uh, Jay Kozak coming in here. Hamler scares me. He seems like a gadget player in the NFL. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see him as even a number three receiver, which – 
I mean, that's a that, that's a uh, oppression point. Let me, I, I'm not going to completely disagree with you because I, I do kind of agree with you. But there are ways that you can really use KJ Hamler, uh, especially as that gadget player. Now, everyone wants to point to Tyreek Hill, and I'm not necessarily going to do that because he's not obviously Tyreek Hill. He's got a long way to go before he even gets close to that. However, Stuart McNair jumped in here earlier. He says, just a thought, maybe sometimes use Hamler out of the backfield and throw him shovel passes so he can take advantage of opposing linebackers. And I don't disagree with that issue is that you're opening up to get hurt yep that is the problem that, that's the big thing is with though with using him in that way you're opening up to take big hits of linebackers of defensive backs coming downhill and that's going to put him in his smaller size at a lot more risk of getting seriously hurt right he's already had some hamstring issues like i i get where you're coming from and i would like to see it but at the same time is i want to do what i can to protect him a little bit yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't disagree with that either, but there does need to be some more pre-snap motion. And Eric, you and I have harped on this for a long time on Dove Valley Deep Divers about how Pat Shermer doesn't like to use pre-snap motion. And that well, is one of the biggest factors. Uh, it, it, go ahead. Well, as much as I hate it, I mean, most of the majority of the teams that made the playoffs had a high percentage of pre-snap motion plays, except for the team that won the Super Bowl. They were one <laughs> of the lowest. Well, it helps when you have the greatest quarterback of all time throwing the football around the around the yard. You're, you're going you know I mean? to get a lot of hate. You guys hear that? Lance doesn't think that John Elway or Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback of all time. He thinks that Timmy Brady is or Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah well, I, it's really hard to argue with seven Super Bowls, man. And he did it without Bill Belichick. So that pretty much should handle that argument. Like he won a Super Bowl with Bruce Arians. Well, he did and, it with still a great team. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that, man. But seven Super anyway, Bowl rings. Like we digress. We digress. Yeah. Um. But anyways, is I mean, yeah, it obviously helps. And Bruce Arians, he's always been one who he's never really used a lot of motion for it, and he just doesn't feel the need of it. Um. So, I mean, yeah, we still need to see it. I mean, if you – one thing, to, more so to your point, not Tom Brady being the greatest ever, is he's a veteran quarterback with plenty of experience. When you have a quarterback who's young and inexperienced, the best way to help them is with pre-snap motion. It helps with their reads, helps with seeing what the, what's going on, helps and see what the defense is going to be doing. So, a lot of the teams that made the playoffs, I mean, if you look at the quarterback situation, there are a lot of them are younger. I think the team that used it the most that had a more older quarterback – were the Packers, uh, which that's just that style of offense that uh, the coach there brings when everything. Yep. Matt, Matt so, I mean, Pat Shermer, I mean, if he wanted to help Drew Locke more, I, I, I have a reputation as a Pat Shermer defender just because I believe in blaming him where it deserves. If you want to blame him with how he used players and the lack of motion, go ahead because he deserves, deserves 100% of the blame for that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there are times where he has, he actually has good route route concepts and good schemes. It's not like a dated system. It's just you got to find the right quarterback to take advantage of that. He really likes to utilize the middle of the field. And veteran quarterbacks tend to use the middle of the field a lot better. I mean, look at like a guy like Kyler Murray, and there's some size limitations there. But that young quarterback, he likes to throw outside of the numbers. He doesn't like to use the middle of the field. Young quarterbacks typically lock onto they lock onto one side of the field. I won't even say one read. Just they lock onto one side of the field, and that's where they're going to go with the football. You need to, to have a guy that can actually scan the whole field, understand what's going to go on with the defense pre-snap, and that's where utilizing that pre-snap motion will definitely help a young quarterback by helping them identify what coverage is coming to them. Which you mentioned one read. Can we talk a little bit about Drew Locke's improvements? I know that we're skipping away from the topic of the conversation, and don't worry, I will bring this around. Um, we uh, we 
everybody saw improvement from Drew Locke over the last five games. Yep. But it's there's a complete failure to realize how that came. Denver, they cut down the field in half. He was only looking right or left, and he was only making one read. He was reading what the safety of that side of the field was doing. If he was dropping high, he's taking the underneath receiver. If he's dropping low, he's taking the over receiver. If the coverage is still too tight and you can't read the safety properly, he's hitting the check down. That's what it was. That's what most of Drew Locke's passing plays were after that point. So if they do roll with Drew Locke and they kind of continue this on, at least early on, to help ease him up and bring him up and gain confidence so he can be utilized and start read, trying to read the field more, then I think that that's one way that um, a player like Tim Patrick and Albert Okawebenam actually fit so much more because these are guys that with a shrunken field, you still can get vertical with them. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason we're going back on Cortland Sutton. That's one another reason why he does fit him there. But I still think with Sutton, he just does a lot bo- a, a lot of things well that fit both quarterbacks that you can't really pick. So Tim Patrick and Albert Okwebenom, I think, fit that style perfectly for him. And I think that if Albert Okwebenom didn't get hurt, we would see him do a little bit more. And Timmy and Tommy came in and asked, what is, um, is Albert O's role with in this offense with a healthy fan? Plus or minus 500 yards, five touchdowns. I think it'll be plus and minus. I think we'll see more touchdowns out of him, but less yards. Yeah. Um, I don't think we'll see him used between the 20s as much. Um, but I think that definitely inside the red zone, we'll see him used quite a bit because of his size. And he is, um, as I was saying, is that vertical and the red zone, one reason why defenses typically do better in the red zone is it's a shortened space. Instead of cutting it in half um, vertically, you're cutting in half horizontally, basically, because yeah. you only have forty yard, you only have thirty yards to work with. Um, so anytime you guys can have guys that can go up and get it, like Albert O, like Tim Patrick, like Cortland Sutton, mm-hmm. they're going to thrive in that situation. Which Drew Lock in that in making these one reads cutting the field in half vertically or into the red zone is where guys like that can really come out and be the best utilized. Right. Uh, Tommy coming back in here and he says that uh, Cortland Sutton is Odell Beckham 2.0. I disagree with you on this one, but I, I do think he's going with it. I, I, I do. I do. I don't agree. I, I think that uh, Cortland Sutton is Andre Johnson 2.0 height, weight, speed, kind of a guy. Go get the, go get the football, big possession receiver. That is Cortland Sutton like to a T Andre Johnson, by the way, was a monster for a long time in this league. So that's, that's pretty high praise for Cortland Sutton. I think that if he comes back healthy from that injury, he's just going to be a a monster this year. Um, Uh, Now I'm seeing a lot of things talking about tight end too, and Beck and Albert O and I wouldn't sleep on Eric Sobert really either. Right. Oh, from higher learnings here. I think we'll see a lot of two tight ends. There was somebody else that had a comment about it too, but yeah, I mean, Beck, I think that they they view more as a fullback than an actual tight end. Not saying he won't be used there, but I think Eric Sobert, he was brought in as a reason. They were looking at blocking tight ends in the draft, and they missed. So, And Eric Sobert, he's a pretty good blocker, and he's a pretty decent emergency receiver, I guess would be the best way to put it. I wouldn't rule him out of earning that number two tight end spot. Now, so speaking of two tight ends, let's move this conversation to uh, the tight end position really fast because I kind of had an epiphany last night. I was driving back home from work and I was kind of thinking, you know, what's my next hot take? Because I need I need a good hot take here. And this is actually one that I think is going to be not necessarily received as a hot take. I think it's really a good idea. Um, the way that the Broncos utilize Cortland Sutton or not Cortland, Noah Fan. Noah Fan. They, and especially with Teddy Bridgewater, if Teddy Bridgewater takes this job and he is the starting quarterback day one, 
they don't need to be using no offense. Uh, like attach him in line. Don't split him out. I mean, obviously you want to have that skill set and, t- and not take that away from him. But the best way that you're going to use Noah Fant with Teddy Bridgewater is as an H-back. Think back to when, you know, the, the what, mid-2000s or so, when the Washington football team had Chris Cooley. That was a tight end, H-back hybrid kind of a player that they had, where they lined him up in the backfield a lot, and they used him on slip-out screens, and they used him out in the flats, and they used him in the quick passing game. He had like 70, 80 catches a year for like four years. I went back and looked at it. I think he had 87 catches in 2007 or 2008, something like that. If you have Noah Fant and you line him up in the backfield, get him some mismatch opportunities and use use Teddy Bridgewater, who likes to check down to the flats, especially to running backs and tight ends. Like that's the best way you're going to use utilize Noah Fant because I, I tell you what, he has that that height, weight, speed. He's what six four, two sixty, something like that. Runs a four five. He's an absolute monster. As Tommy comes in here, he's a bowling ball. Think back to the Cleveland Browns game, his rookie season, where Brandon Allen hit him on a fifteen yard crossing route, and he broke through two tacklers, two defensive backs out in the backside of the play and ran 75 yards for a touchdown. Now imagine this. You have Teddy Bridgewater looking to one side, checking down to Noah Fant on the other side, maybe even get a a tight end screen action going there. Get him out in front against a linebacker that's going to be obviously slower than him. Let him run over a defensive back who can't handle that big and that kind of a power, uh, what kind of a player. That right there, holy cow, man, Noah Fant, would be a monster. He like everyone's talking Andrew Beck, Andrew Beck. He's going to catch 80 passes if Teddy Bridgewater wins it. No, no, no. Put Noah Fant in that role and watch this offense just explode. I definitely agree. I like the idea of using Fant that way. I like the idea of using just it's in modern NFL. I know Chris Cooley, he wasn't the most athletic guy, but I mean, I love using the idea of using athletic guys in that role now. And you went Chris Cooley. I was thinking, um, Oh crap! I can't remember his name now. Um, was with the Colts for a Dallas long Clark. Time. Dallas Clark. Yeah, because he was brought back in line. I think kind of in kind of that emergency check down type guy. And I think that that's that would be a good idea of how to use Fant. Um, so I mean, I'm down for it. And I see a lot of people talking about Fant as a blocker. I think he's a better blocker than people give him credit for. Yep. There's definitely strength and technical technical issues there. But I mean. I will take a guy who's 100% willing every single time yep. over a guy who, who with some technical issues and strength issues over a guy who's willing 50% of the time that doesn't have those issues. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was another thing that I was going to bring up is Noah Fant as a run blocker. I mean, when you get him out in front on some lead stuff, um, you can utilize some some play action that way, get him on some boot action. Um, it, like it, that's going back to, you know, it, it's the different West Coast than what Pat Shermer likes to use. He doesn't really use that boot action very much. Um, not as prevalent as the Shanahan West Coast system, but you can incorporate that. You can get Fant going one way and then sneak him out the backside, get him a quick dump off and get him out into some space and just use that athleticism. Now, that's just specifically to Teddy Bridgewater. I think they need to do that a lot with Drew Locke as well, because I think that there's a way to maximize that, but I'm not using that as an emphasis in the offense. Like I would be with a Teddy Bridgewater. Now with Noah Fant, it's and with Drew Locke, I want him split out wide. I want him in the slot. I want him running over the middle of the field. I want him using that big body running away from some guys. I think that that's the best way to maximize Noah Fant with Drew Locke. Eric, do you agree with that? I definitely do. I mean, anytime you do stuff to help take the pressure off the quarterback, especially a young quarterback, it's it's helping them. And you, when you help the quarterback, you help better utilize all your weapons. Doesn't matter where they are. Yep. So definitely, and I think that having him, because we've seen it, Locke does have a reliance on Noah Fant, 
So using him in that type of role, like there you go. You have he has somebody he can trust for him. Yeah, it's it's really fun because Noah Fan a lot like uh, a lot like Cortland Sutton. He's going to succeed with either guy. He's, yeah. It's really dependent on ways. Exactly, and it's going it, to like exactly like Cortland Sutton. It's really going to depend on what happens with with Pat Shermer and can he evolve just a little bit? He he really does like to uh, stick with the uh, stick with the the scheme that he actually has. Uh, yes, Black Knight. By the way, that is exactly what you saw. Um, so with with the scheme that Pat Shermer runs, like I said, he wants to utilize the middle of the field. He wants to have some vertical stuff on one side, run some underneath on the other side, create those crossing routes, create that middle of the field, attack that intermediate area. With Drew Locke, that's where Noah Fant's going to succeed. He's going to he's going to be more successful stretching the seams on the one side. He's going to be a lot more successful running uh, running across the middle of the field. Uh, higher learnings jumping in here. I don't like the tight end screens. Would much rather have wide receiver screens. I want Fant targeted more than 10 yards down the field. That's it's it's an interesting point, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I do just a little bit because it's Long- really it's 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 a it's an, a, a way of maximizing the, a, a player's potential here. Noah Fant has the athleticism and the strength to be able to use that tight end screen game. Now, if you're like a Darren Waller, and Darren Waller is probably not a great example of that, but let's just go George Kittle really fast. When George Kittle's running that tight end screen game, he he does so very well because he has great vision, runs through everybody, and is a good athlete. I think you can use Noah Fant in that way. I definitely agree, and I want to say is like I de- I'm with you. I 100 I hate tight end screens, hate them. They are death. But wanting Fant targeted more than 10 yards downfield, it it really depends. I think that ideally you want his average depth of target over 10 yards, but I mean, you don't want to just consistently target him over 10 yards. Obviously I think that he is so effective getting into a mismatch. So if you get him up against a tight end, having him run a quick out and getting the ball quickly and letting him turn up field, I mean like three yards and cutting out. I mean, that's what you want. Like you just want him to be in the proper mismatch and then find him the uh, easiest way to uh, exploit that, get up field and make a play kind of like what we saw with um, him against the Cleveland Browns game. Yeah, no, I, I I definitely agree with that. It's just, it's another wrinkle. And that's something that I want to see more out of Pat Shermer is getting out of that same, that same dynamic that he usually does. Broke it down in once for you. Let's let's see some more screens this year. I think having some some more athletic offensive linemen. Demar Dotson was not good at, in the as a mover in the not in the running game, not in the passing game. They couldn't run screens because of him. It was it's 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 a lot better to have like a Bobby Massey who is a really good athlete, or a Cameron Fleming who is a good athlete, a guy that can get out and get to a spot where he's supposed to in that screen game. And I think that now that the Broncos actually have a mover that can do that, they might be able to utilize that just a little bit more. But Pat Shermer has to be not so rigid. He has to flex the flex has to have that flexibility to be able to do that and call that in the game with confidence that his team can actually run it. Well, screen passes are like deep passes. Sure, you can make a big exciting play every now and then, but overall, they're a negative play for the offense. Uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, I mean I mean I, not, not, I mean the expected points added, all the advanced statistics, everything like that. It's negative for deep passes and screen plays. Like I actually it didn't literally hurts the offense more. I mean, granted, you get that one play out of ten and it's super exciting, but those other nine just kind of yeah, takes away yeah. that. 
Well, it, it helps to have a Peyton Manning to be able to do that. You know, that tunnel screen that they used to use with yeah, quarterback the, with the Mary Thomas. It really does. Yes, it does. Um, but as far as you can, you can have some success with it and open up a lot though, because it keeps defenses honest. It, it makes well, it, it makes, he passes. Yep. So it's, I'm not saying that they're, they're completely worthless. No. that They shouldn't be used or anything like that. It's just a play that hurts the offense more. Right. I mean, I, Nine times out of ten, it will hurt the offense more. That one time, though, is effective because it does mm-hmm. so much. Somebody says it's an honesty play; it keeps the defense offense honest. Honest. That's exactly right. Like, yep. so they still should be used. Just stating they're a negative play. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this up here in just a couple of minutes, but I do want to. I do want to get into uh, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams here because there's there's an obvious pass catching ability from both of those guys. Melvin Gordon usually catches, you know, 50, 60 passes a, a year. And Javante Williams has, is a really good receiver out of the backfield. They didn't use him nearly enough like they should have in North Carolina. That role went kind of to Michael Carter. And also they, North Carolina just didn't really use their running backs. But when they did, it was highly effective. Now, th- this one should be pretty obvious to everybody. The guy that's going to be the easiest, the, the most successful with these two running backs is – more than likely going to be Teddy Bridgewater because he does check down the ball off and he doesn't like to throw the push the envelope and push the ball down the middle of the field and push the ball even to the boundary. Like he's going to take what he's given to you and he's going to read it, make his one, two quick reads, dump it off to the running back. So like that's a pretty easy conversation to have. Now I do want to ask your question here, this specific question here, Eric, let's go, let's fast forward to week eight really fast. And let's say that Teddy Bridgewater actually doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Who's the starting running back? Is it Javante Williams or is it Melvin Gordon? How many fumbles does Melvin Gordon have? Two. Melvin Gordon. Okay. Why is that? I mean, because I think that it's Melvin Gordon's job. I mean, Pat Shermer, I mean, he wanted another running back this year, but he also wanted Melvin Gordon last year and he got his guy. He likes what he can bring as a pass catcher. He likes what he can do as a being bring as a blocker, as a runner. And people fail to realize this that over those last five games, the offense was more so Melvin Gordon than anything else. Yep. Like Melvin Gordon really stepped up and carried the offense, had a really good closing to the season. Well, so unless he's turning the ball over a lot, I mean, he's going to he's going to stay the starter, and then Javante Williams will bring it up. But I'm going to counter you though about Teddy Bridgewater being the best for these guys. I will say with their play as a receiver, Teddy Bridgewater is better yep. for them as a running back. Drew Locke is better. Good point. That's that's actually a really good point. And Tommy actually came in here with a with a pretty interesting point here as well. That uh, they're, they're going to run the ball twenty five times a game. And as of last year, and uh, John, I see you down here. Uh, as of last year, especially towards the end of the season, Melvin Gordon was averaging like nineteen twenty touches, uh, twenty rushing uh, attempts a game. Like he was in that. That's they used him as that bell cow back. And now that they have another guy to kind of take the weight away, take the, the workload away, and Javante Williams, a guy who actually pairs really nicely. They're, they're very similar running styles, a very similar kind of players. And Javante Williams is a very good pass protector as well. It's not a switch dynamic. It's not like a thunder lightning. You have the same, you have the ability to run the same plays with these two players that work differently, um, but also play the same kind of, I guess it's not, it's a weird way of saying that there are different players that do different things, obviously, but they play in the same kind of mold. There's, you can still do multiple things with both of them. You're not limited. Like with Philip Lindsay last year, everybody knew that because Philip Lindsay was on the field, it was a running play because he couldn't pass protect. He wasn't very good out of the backfield as a, as a receiver. So 
with now Javante Williams, you have your entire repertoire behind you. You have your entire catalog of plays to be able to do what you want to with both running backs on the field at the same time. It's exactly like a, a Nick Chubb and a Kareem Hunt. They both do the, the same things very well, even though they run in different stylistically kind of ways. So it's going to be very interesting. I do agree with you, though, Eric, that uh, with with uh, with Drew Locke on the field, opening up that running game, especially if he's pushing the ball down the field and playing efficiently like that, the running game will open up a lot, especially because most teams now are starting to to play with uh, with light boxes. You know, instead of having seven, eight guys in the box, if Drew Locke is pushing the ball down the field and they actually have to play back and play off the ball just a little bit, open up some more running lanes, this Broncos offensive line, even with Lloyd Cushenberry, because, and who wasn't very good last year, even with Lloyd Cushenberry, who's a better run blocker than he is pass protector because he's a mauler, can get these guys to open up some really big running lanes. And honestly, like it, this offense can really click. It really can um, Tommy coming in here. Could uh, could Javante Williams Pookie uh, take the lead back role uh, weeks twelve to sixteen? Eric, how many fumbles does Melvin Gordon have? <laughs> uh, that, that's what it's go. all going to come down to for Jordan for Javante Williams to take over the starting role. Melvin Gordon is going to have to turn the ball over a lot. Like it's th- it's that simple. Javante Williams, he's going to be the guy after this season. So they don't want to use him up a lot his rookie year. They're going to try to use up Melvin Gordon. Somebody said that he's in a contract year. That's exactly why you use and abuse Melvin Gordon. They're mm-hmm. not bringing him back. Mm-hmm. Well, use I- him, abuse him, let him walk. And fun fact, Melvin Gordon only had four games last year where he didn't have at least 15 touches. Yeah, that's a good point. Um Something else I want to say is with the with the 17 game schedule, you add that last game into there, we could see more of a split here too. Like it, it might it might be like 60 40 as far as Melvin Gordon because you use and abuse him, but we could see more of a split rotation between Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. You know, two series to one or something like that. Uh, It'll probably just, be 70 30 at the least at the most. Okay, so it kind of kind of to my point here. Um, but with with Melvin Gordon being out there, obviously, like like you said, use and abuse him. Let your your young rookie get acclimated to the NFL, but. But because they're both, they, they both really deserve to be that true bell cow back. They have the the ability to do so. We might see, especially towards the later end of the year, and especially if the Broncos are in the playoff hunt, we might see a, a game alternate. You know, weeks what you know what 15, 16, 17, and might be like Melvin Gordon one game, and then he and in, in week sixteen or week fifteen, and then in week sixteen, it might be Javante Williams being the primary uh, running back to get Melvin, Melvin Gordon, Gordon reps. the week before. Well, I, I, I'm just I'm, I'm so speaking you, you're. you're I don't want to say you're failing to understand. I mean, Melvin, it's Melvin Gordon's job to lose. Right. He actually has to lose it. And the Broncos coaching staff, they've shown, for the most part, when it comes to running the ball, they'll stick with the hot hand. So if Melvin Gordon at one point completely starts turning the ball over and completely falters, that's when Javante Williams will come in. It's not going to be some even split. It's going to be 70-30, at most maybe 65-35, but it's not going to be this big thing because they're look, not u- looking at using Javante Williams a whole lot this year because they still want to keep him healthy, let him and use him and abuse him over the final three years of his contract and use and abuse Melvin Gordon this year, the final year of his contract. If Melvin Gordon gets hurt, obviously things can change, which getting hurt from Melvin Gordon is quite the possibility. I mean, he's almost as bad as Bryce Callahan, but I mean, that, that's what it is. But. <laughs> Uh, I, I get you. I'm just kind of speaking hypothetically here. And like you said, ball security issues are definitely a thing. Um, I'm also super high on Javante Williams. I loved him coming out. He was, oh, I really like him too. Yeah. And I would love, I would love for him to take the starting job. I'd love for him to be the guy because I think that this offense has not necessarily a lot more to offer with him at it. But I think at this point, 
is that we know Melvin Gordon's not done. They should let him go get the experience, let him show what he can do, and let him just make a big impact that way. Right. And then use Melvin Gordon to balance him out. But that's just not what's going to happen. Right. Uh, Black Knight jumping in here on Twitch. Got to shout out Black Knight, obviously, every time. Content creator of his own. He, uh, he came in and joined the, the Huddle Up podcast a couple weeks ago. I watched that episode. And Black Knight did a hell of a job. Um, he's actually a, a gamer content creator. So uh, that's a really – obviously, Twitch is that platform for gamers to come in. But he says, have you guys talked about what a Rodgers offense would look like with the wide receivers and running backs? Um, pretty much everything we said applies. Like it does. If there's a positive that you can highlight with any receiver, any running back on this roster, every positive applies with Aaron Rodgers. Like, let's be honest here. Um, the difference with it, what the offense would look like with it, I mean, it'd just be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's no other way to put it. Aaron Rodgers, he knows he can throw the ball hard. He can laser it in there. He can throw it deep. He can hit these tight window throws. He can throw with timing and pacing. He can maximize every single receiver, every single tight end, every single running back, everybody's. Uh, ability i mean even the offensive line he can maximize one thing that we didn't talk about is that for the offensive line drew lock's definitely better than teddy bridgewater but i mean aaron Rodgers, he's just better for them than everybody he's even going to make the defense better and a, a big part of that is because the broncos are actually going to have the opportunity to play with a lead like because the offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders for the most part it might take a little bit you know five six games or whatever to get everything kind of in the in the rhythm look at what tom brady did last year you know it took him a minute it really did take him a minute to get everything kind of gelled on the same page and, and stuff like that so it, it you have to be patient with it but when everything does kind of flow and Rodgers gets into this offense and gets incorporated and everything like that if this does happen i, I really sincerely hope it does by the way if, if Rodgers comes in and everything starts to gel and the Broncos are playing with a, a 10, 14 point lead, that defense is going to be ferocious. Oh man, it's going to be so much fun because so, teams are going to have to pass. They're going to have to push the ball down the field and the pass rushers are going to be able to get home. They're going to be able to get after it. The Broncos have a legit secondary full of five, six, seven guys that can take the football away. Man, this team is going to be so good with Aaron Rodgers. It, well, it's going to be ridiculous. Eric, so did you there? Yeah, I was looking it up and everything and looking at the snap counts and everything. So Melvin Gordon last year ended up with 50, just over 58% of the snap counts. So not quite 60%. But I mean, there was one game where he left early, a couple games where he left early, one game that there was a concern that he might miss. So there were a bunch, there were other injury factors into it. So, I mean, I was saying 65, 30 or 65, 35, 70, 30. I mean, Injuries are going to play a factor, and he's going to get banged up. They're going to rest him. So maybe you are right. Maybe it is going to be more 60-40. Well, it, regardless, it doesn't necessarily matter. Broncos 17-0 and jumping in here at the last minute right at the wire here with a super sticker. Number one, uh, $20 donation. Dude, we appreciate you for joining. We appreciate the donation. Uh, we appreciate everybody's support. But I think, Eric, is that going to wrap it up for us tonight? Yeah, all right. Well, let's get out of here. John, I'm going to take the sticks really fast, remove this really quick, and run through our matters of business. Guys, thank you all for joining the Dub Valley Deep Divers podcast. You guys can find us both on Twitter by following me at SandersonMHH for Eric at Eric Trickle. Also for John at John KMHH. It's John, uh, J-O-N-K-A-Y-M-H-H. That's the man behind the scenes that's producing the show, does a great job, great friend, uh, really enjoyable follow as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'll also follow. Really follow excited to actually get to meet him face to face. Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, guys, also, while you're at it, follow at DVDD underscore pod. That's a podcast account. You can find out exactly what the Broncos are going to be talking or what we're going to be talking about on the Dub Valley Deep Divers podcast. 
Uh, also, guys, follow at Mile High Huddle. That's the that's the mother account. You're going to get breaking news and analysis on your Denver Broncos, film breakdowns, opinion articles from your favorite personalities, including myself and Eric, Nick Kendall, Carl Dumler, Luke Patterson, Chad, Zach, the entire gang. Anything that drops Broncos related, you're going to find it at Mile High Huddle. Facebook users. Go to facebook.com slash mile high huddle. Become a supporter. Click the blue become a supporter button. It's five, $5 a month. You're going to get yourself some premium content like the trickle zone. Eric, are you doing trickle zone this week or is no. that next week? It's next week. I'm taking tomorrow off because long story short, we were celebrating my birthday, my daughter's birthday tomorrow. We decided to move it to Monday, but we're still having family coming down tomorrow. So we're still celebrating it tomorrow. So I, no, I'm not going to be doing it. And I see Black Knight saying, peace out, guys. Back to Mass Effect 2. Man, Mass Effect, man, you, you got my heart with that one. I'm on three right now and uh, playing through the Legendary Edition. I'm going to get ready, but once I beat I'm going to be playing through it again. Nice. Love that series. Yeah, but anyways, no trickles on this week, guys. But usually that air, that show airs at uh, 12 o'clock noon Mountain Time on Saturdays. On Sundays, you'll get Kelberman's Corner with the hot takes to hold water with Zach Kelberman and Kim uh, Kim Becker. And that show is, again, Sunday at noon Mountain Time. Uh, the Broncos Book Club with Chad Jensen. Make sure you guys check that out. I'm not exactly sure when that comes on. John, you got a message for me? Saturday, uh, the Broncos book club with Chad Jensen on Saturday. Make sure you guys are looking out for that on Facebook as well. Uh, folks, if you guys are financially able to do so and you want to show some massive support to the show, huddleuppod.com. That's where you guys can get yourself some hats. There's a t-shirt, a face mask. There's a hoodie. There's a couple of coffee cup. There's a coffee cup. There's a onesie for your baby. Anything for the guys, for the gals, anything to suit your fancy. If you want to help support the show, huddleuppod.com. And if you guys are not financially able to do so, or this is not just your bag. I mean, the some people don't necessarily like to do that. Whatever. It is what it is. There are three things that everybody should be doing regardless of who you are. It should be subscribe wherever you guys are watching this on Facebook, on YouTube, especially Twitter, Twitch, anywhere. Subscribe to Mile High Huddle. That's the number one biggest thing that you can do. Like every video you guys see. And if you love it, share it. Share it out in front of as many Broncos fans as you possibly can. Get as many eyes on us as, as you possibly can, because that is the easiest and most organic way to help grow the show and uh, get us in front of as many Broncos fans to do what we do best, which is cover your Denver Broncos. Now, with that, guys, uh, let's see here. With that, anyways, Eric, any last words, bud? Yeah, I actually have a few of them. Just a reminder that on the home game, home opener against the New York Jets, September 26th, Mile Heddle is going to be doing a get together. I'm actually going to be there. I booked my tickets before going live for those of you who joined us during the show. I hope to see some of you guys there and tailgating and meet you face to face and everything. And you guys can tell me how much you hate me in person instead of just over the internet. And Gary Smith is coming <laughs> in saying, uh, Yeah, is the greatest short track driver ever actually related to him? Best story, fighting the family ended up leading to the separation of the EL and the LE. But the change is there. But uh, yeah, I'm actually related to him. But anyways, hope to see you guys in September. A lot of you anyways, um, when I'm down in Denver and have a chance to meet some of y'all and meet John and and hopefully Lance and Chad and all these guys that I haven't got to meet, but I've been working with for years. So uh, hope to see you guys there. Hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. And uh, yeah, I'm sure I can insert a Saturday Night Live. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend joke in here, but yeah. <laughs> No, I'm looking forward to the to the meet and greet as well. But everybody, thank you all for joining once again the Dub Valley Deep Divers Podcast. You all stay safe, take care, have a great rest of your weekend. And as always, before we get out of here, gotta say it: go Broncos. <laughs>